God is in charge. Amen? And he still sits on his throne even when we look at this dark, dark world. Amen? You know, I, I know some of you may not want to hear any more about these, uh, the shootings that took place in Connecticut, but let, let me say this. We are looking at a world that is completely in harmony with the world or with the view that God values the choice of man even above his own choice. We are looking at a world like that, where men make choices, evil choices. And folks, I was telling the youth class, Sam Smith was teaching, and it's going to get worse before the end. And this is the time for Seventh-day Adventists to be united like never before. Amen? Because there's a whole lot of things happening. And a whole lot of things that are going to start happening. They're going to shake many people. And if there's ever a time for God's people to be united, to be prayerful, to be trusting, it is now. Can you say amen to that, church family? Amen. Amen. Why don't we bow our heads for another word of prayer. Let's ask Jesus to bless us with his Holy Spirit as we worship him in the word. Father in heaven, we just come to you in prayer right now, Lord, thanking you for being the God of the universe and for giving us this beautiful Sabbath, Lord, a day frozen in time where we can worship the creator and the recreator. Heavenly Father, it is our heart's desire that you would bring us in harmony with your will today and that you would bless us with a word of encouragement from the scriptures. And God, we also pray right now in a special way for the people in Connecticut. God, that the great comfort of the Holy Spirit would be by their side right now. We don't have words and answers on this side of heaven, but we thank you, Jesus, that one day you will make things clear to us. And we look forward to that day, God. And we pray that as we continue to grow and journey and continue to make decisions, we pray that our repentance would deepen day by day until you bring us home. Bless us now, Lord. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Well, we're going to be concluding our Egyptian trilogy. The first Sabbath that we talked about this, we covered Exodus excuses. Exodus excuses. And this last Sabbath, we covered plaguing who? Pharaoh. That's right. We learned about the plagues of Pharaoh. And this Sabbath, we're going to be learning about the crossing of the Red Sea. Now, there's so much more when you're studying the book of Exodus that we can talk about. And last week, I crammed a whole lot of information in to you guys. But I want to share just certain points. And I really want to recommend to you that you go back and you study this out for yourself and learn and grow the things that God wants to teach you. Can you say amen to that, church family? We're coming to the end of the year, and it's important to understand the things that God wants us to, to know like never before. There's a whole new year that's coming before us, and God wants us to be ready for the great things He wants to do. Can you say amen to that, church family? So as we get into this Bible study, I want you to be prayerful and asking yourself the question, Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what are you saying to me? 
What are you speaking to my own heart? Do you remember last week we learned about how God told Pharaoh, I am sending the plagues, he says in Exodus 14, to your heart. The plagues were sent as a message to Pharaoh's own heart. This isn't just merely God trying to simply remove Egyptian belief. He was trying to send a very clear message to Pharaoh. And so it's important for us to understand the message that God is trying to send to our own heart. Can you say amen to that? Amen. By the way, I just noticed you, Alejandro. I appreciate you sitting in the front row. You're the, oh, we got three over there. Amen. The head elder. Good example. Amen. 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 You know, one of these days, I'm going to do something risky. I'm going to completely close the balcony off. So everybody has to come sit down here. I can't see their faces up there, but I'm pretty sure they're not smiling at me right now. So, well, it's excited to be in the house of God today. Amen. So let's begin with our sermon, The Raging Red Sea. The crossing of the Red Sea has often been a subject to dispute, specifically in regards to its location. The event did happen, but where did it happen is the question. The most difficult aspect of biblical archaeology is that current maps do not accurately reflect the mapping systems of the past. Ancient locations have new names ascribed to them over the years by various ruling authorities. However, as of recently, there has been some interesting developments in the discovery of the location of what may be called the greatest miracle of the Old Testament. In fact, when you're reading the book of Psalms or when you're reading several of the minor prophets, one thing they refer to over and over and over again is the crossing of the Red Sea. It was seen as the greatest miracle, the most powerful miracle of the Old Testament. And so many things that are, many symbols are used to describe the deliverance that Jesus would bring about for his people. But here's the thing to understand. God put in the Old Testament this beautiful experience, and that beautiful experience is still for the people of God today to understand. Can you say amen to that? Last week, we learned about how Moses, he confronted Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, who is this God? I don't know him, right? Do you remember something we also learned? Did Pharaoh believe in gods? Yes or no? Yes. But did he believe in the Lord God? No. He said, who is the Lord that I should believe in him? Pharaoh believed in gods. He was surrounded by idolatry. But he believed that he was God. He was the king of kings. And that's why he said, who is the Lord? I don't know him. And then we learned about how God sent plagues to Pharaoh's heart, and these plagues started off softly and less intense. But as Pharaoh became more angry and more vicious, the plagues got more intense and more extreme until God had to send one powerful plague to Pharaoh's own heart to wake him up. And when Pharaoh was woken up, when he was awake, excuse me, when he was awake, he finally let the children of Israel go. But it's at this moment... This moment that something happens, and we're going to be learning about that. When we get into the understanding of the Red Sea, we find out that the children of Israel were pursued. God told the children of Israel, I want you to go to a certain location. The children of Israel followed God's instruction. And at that moment, that's when God parted the Red Sea. Now, a lot of people, a lot of archaeologists of the past, when they look at the Red Sea, in trying to understand where the location of the Red Sea is, they constantly refer up to here to a place called the Sea of Reeds. 
In fact, when you look at the Hebrew uh, concordance, when it talks about the Red Sea, the word, the Sea of Reeds, is used. Now, what's very interesting is that this is the archaeology that has been uh, sort of used in the past to describe the locations of the Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea. And so many, many scholars of the past believe that this is where the crossing took place in this place called the Sea of Reeds. Now they believe right here was the land of Goshen. And so they believe the children of Israel fled over here and they came to this point and there God did the miracle and they crossed the, the Red Sea. They then made their way down tomorrow where there were the bitter springs and from the bitter springs they made their way down to this area, this mountainous range and they believe right there is the traditional site of Mount Sinai. And so this has been established in the past, as, or at least, at least proclaimed as the past, as where the Exodus took place. But there has been some provocative archaeology that has been done. Interesting enough, Seventh-day Adventists have been part of this as well. Unfortunately, a lot of sensationalism as well. So it's very important that we try to be as credible as possible, that we get many sources as possible to try to verify and make sure that we have something concrete. Can you say amen to that? We have to make sure that Seventh-day Adventists do not fall into sensationalism because that is very easy to do. Can you say amen to that? We need to make sure that we, number one, are grounded in the Scriptures. Amen? We're grounded in the Scriptures. And number two, we take uh, evidences as well that come about. Now, it's very interesting. There has been some archaeology of the past, like I said, that was being done. And some... Modern scholars are now saying, this was actually talked about 20, I think maybe 20 years ago, but it was really explored. But since that time, it has been explored by many scholars, archaeologists, and they've come to the belief that that site where the Red Sea, the Red Sea crossing took place may not actually have been the crossing of the Red Sea. They really believe that it may be somewhere else. Very interesting, many of, these new scholars, many of these scholars are saying that actually when the children of Israel fled, they went all the way across the country until they came to this place called the Gulf of Aqaba. This is also known as the Red Sea. They believe that God brought, them, or God brought the Israelites to a certain point here, and they crossed over, and they made their way to a certain mountain called Jabal Allah's, or the Mountain of Moses. Very interesting. When you look at the traditional site of where Mount Sinai is, there really is no solid evidence that the Israelites were there. And so that's why many new modern scholars are pretty skeptical of where the Red Sea might be. Very interesting. Some of these scholars believe that there are two or three other possible sites where the Israelites might have crossed the Red Sea. They believe that there was a certain part right here called the Nuevo site right here, and we'll explore that in just a second. And they also believe there's a site right here called the Strait of Tehran. And they believe that the children of Israel might have crossed right here. So you have the traditional site, which is the Sea of Reeds right here. Then you have the Nuevo site. And then you also have the Strait of Tehran right here where they believe the crossing might have took place. Interesting enough, much of the discoveries that are out there seem to indicate, at least in my own personal opinion and the opinions of other scholars, that the Nueva site might actually might be the most uh, clearest, there may be the clearest indications that was where the site was. Very interesting. Also, it even says in Galatians that, um, that when they crossed over and they found Mount Sinai, it was actually in Arabia. Okay? 
And so when we look at this evidence, we're going to see some of these developments right here. And so they believe that this is the Nueva site right here where the children of Israel came to. And right here is where they were all camped, and it was from this side that the Egyptians came in. That point, God parted the Red Sea, and they came to the Baal Zephar. And it's very interesting what they also discovered right there, that there are actually two pillars. Some of these archaeologists believe that Solomon actually set up the pillars because he, because he talks about the borders of Egypt and the borders of Israel. And there was a pillar that was found right here and a pillar that was found right here until it was removed by the government of the country right there. Interesting enough, you can take a good, there's a good look at where that uh, Nueva site actually is. You can see, like the Bible says, it was like a mouth. It was like a mouth. And so you can see right here, they were hemmed in by the mountains. The children of Israel made their way through here and there they were parked out there. And actually, that's where the pillar was right there. And the Egyptians came in from this side. You can see how the Egyptians were trying to cut them off. If this is truly the site, this would be an advantage to the Egyptians. Israelites were having nowhere to go. How to over a million people flee at that moment? And so the Egyptians thought that they had the plan right there to destroy the Israelites. But God intentionally led them to this site. Interesting enough, they also discovered along the bottom, and by the way, I want to say this, that there has been hoaxes done in the past. Hoaxes have been done in the past. People who've claimed to find Egyptian chariot wheels and all sorts of things. Uh, over the years, that stuff disintegrates. There's been documentaries that have been done where there's actually hoaxes that have been done, and after the documentary was finished, the individuals came out and said, by the way, we hoaxed the whole thing. And so we need to make sure that we're basing it upon solid evidence at the same time, at the same time, understand that we put our faith in the Word of God. Can you say amen to that? Along that Nueva site, there has been interesting coral formations that have been found. Interesting coral formations that, don't, that are not normal coral for formations. One of them, if you take a good look at this, it looks exactly, if you look at it, there is a right angle here. And that is not normal when it comes to coral formations. Along this specific site, there are all sorts of things, including what many scholars believe that they were looking at was a wheel right there. But again, what I want to say this is that the actual metal of the wheel is no longer there. It disintegrates over time, and so what you find is the core formation taking place. And so you find unusual things. Interesting enough, when the Bible talks about how God sent the, you know, the, the Egyptians went fleeing into the, the waters to go after the children of Israel, the Bible says something very interesting, that their chariot wheels actually came off. And so you find these things that are kind of just strewn along the path, and they also done some very interesting sonar scans, and that they found that there is an underwater land bridge. An underwater land bridge. Can we be absolutely sure that this is the site? Well, we can take a good look at the evidence and we say, wait a minute, this possibly could be the site that's there. And we also discover that what's very interesting is that the mountain of Moses, the, the, the traditional site of Mount Sinai, really does not fit the bill. There really isn't a shred of evidence there. But there is a mountain that the Bedouin shepherds believed was called the Mountain of Moses. Very interesting. The, top, the very top of this mountain is completely burnt. It is not volcanic rock. It is completely burnt along the top. What is also interesting about the whole thing is that the entire thing is completely fenced off. Completely fenced off. And there's a, a, a very important reason for that. This is a Muslim country. 
And to have Christian scholars and Jewish scholars poking around may not be something that, is, uh, that Muslims like. Um, they also find near that the very bottom of this Jabal al-Las that there are what seems to be unusual, um, you can say, formations of man-made structures, things that were put together, and along them they found Egyptian petroglyphs. And this is something that comes strictly from Egyptian artwork as well. And so here you see some more evidence that this possibly could be the site or the crossing of the Red Sea and uh, Mount Sinai. There's more evidence that talks about that, but I know we don't have a lot of time today. But I want you to see some things. As we've been looking at archaeology in this trilogy in regards to Egypt, we see all sorts of things that, that are pointing us, pointing us, and showing us that God's Word is true. Can you say amen to that? That God's Word is true. All right, take your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Exodus chapter 13. We're going to begin with the sermon now. Exodus chapter 13, starting with verse 17. The children of Israel have been freed by Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, you guys go, you worship, you take your cattle, and you get out of here. And sure enough, the children of Israel begin to make their way out of Egypt. Now watch what the Bible says right here in Exodus, second book of the Bible, chapter 13, verse 17. Page 64, are we all there? Okay. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So the children of Israel were free. They began to make their way to the spot that God had called them to go. And here they are. You can imagine over 600,000 men, plus women and children, plus their cattle, plus the elderly, and they're making their way to the very spot that God has called them. The Bible says that they were like rank and file, walking like an army. And if you have God's view, you can see the whole thing. You see the children of Israel making their exodus out of Egypt. This line, this kind of like worm that's moving as the children of Israel are leaving. Now watch what the Bible says next. It's very interesting. And Moses took the bones of who? Joseph, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Now this is the first point I want to make in regards to this sermon, and we need to understand this. God told Moses, or impressed Moses, hey, you guys are at the end of the captivity. You guys need to leave Egypt right now. Moses knew from what was written in the past, he knew from what Joseph's instructions were. And do you remember what Joseph said? Joseph was second in all of Egypt. He was there generations prior. He was a Jewish man who God exalted, who saved Egypt, who saved the world. Joseph told his brethren, the Hebrews, when I die, I want you to take my bones and I want you to take me out of Egypt. I don't want to be buried here. I do not want my bones here. And sure enough, sure enough, years later, hundreds of years later, when the children of Israel were at the end of captivity, they remember the words of Joseph and they said, well, we're going to take Joseph's bones. And sure enough, they took Joseph's bones and they began to carry them out of the land of Egypt and they were going to bury them in the holy place or the holy land. Now this is super important, folks, because this, this is super important, don't miss this point. The children of Israel were at the end of their captivity 
and the fulfillment of prophecy. The fulfillment of what? Prophecy. They were carrying the bones of Moses or bones of Joseph out, and they knew that the prophecy was fulfilled. 400 years they were promised in captivity, and the bones of Joseph would be taken out. And when that was to take place, they knew that their captivity was actually finished. Now, why is that important for us to understand? Folks, this is so powerful because you are at the receiving end of the greatest prophecy of the entire Bible. The second coming of Jesus. Think about that, folks. You are at the end. It's the greatest event of the entire Bible. And you are living at its fulfillment. And that's what's so exciting. We're living at very exciting times right now. You think about the children of Israel. 400 years plus, they were told, you're going to be in Egypt. Abraham gave the prophecy. And sure enough, Moses was right there at the end of fulfillment. Think about Daniel. Daniel say 2,300 days at the very end. What happens? God raises up Ellen White and the Adventist church begins. You are living at the fulfillment of prophecy. And that's what's so exciting about these times that we're living in. Very interesting time. Every generation of God's people have had the promise of great deliverance. Can you say amen to that? Great deliverance. And it's exciting. All right. And I love what Ellen White says right here. Let's take a good look at this. Talked about this last week, but I want to reiterate it. The Hebrews had expected to obtain their freedom without any special trial of their what? Faith or any real suffering or hardship. But they were not yet prepared for what? Deliverance. The people were not ready for deliverance. Did God want to give them deliverance? Yes or no? He absolutely wanted to give them deliverance, but they were not ready for deliverance. Why not? They had little faith in God and were unwilling patiently to endure their afflictions until he should see fit to work for them. Many were content to remain in bondage rather than meet the difficulties attending removal to a strange land. And the habits of some had become so much like those of the Egyptians that they preferred to dwell in Egypt. Do you see what God's problem was? The children of Israel wanted to stay in Egypt and they were crying out for deliverance. But they wanted to stay in Egypt. They were so like the Egyptians that they were Egyptian. And over and over again, this is the tension that God is dealing with. He is trying to save a group of people who don't want to be saved. This is why God is in the process of sanctification. He's trying to put heaven in our hearts. God knew the risk of taking the children of Israel too quickly out of Egypt and placing them in the Holy Land because the Holy Land would then become Egypt. And so God has a very big problem right now. He is trying to prepare the people of God to love heaven because God does not want heaven to turn into another earth. Can you say amen to that? And so right now, he's trying to put heaven in your hearts. I'm going to show you something very interesting. Take your Bible, go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. You're there, go ahead and say, amen. How did you get there that fast? Revelation chapter 12. This is interesting. Right here, I'm going to show you something very interesting. This is very powerful. Go, take, go to your Bible, go to Revelation chapter 12. If you're there, go ahead and say, amen. All right. Now take a good look at verse 10. This is talking about the cross. 
talking about the cross of Calvary, I want you to see something interesting. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his what? Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been what? Has been what? Cast down. This is talking about what took place at the cross of Calvary. Heaven had no more sympathy for Lucifer. Now go to verse 7 now. I want you to see this. We're going to rewind a little bit. I want you to see something very interesting. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And dragon and his angels fought. But they did not what? Prevail. Now pay attention to the next word. Nor was a place found for who? Them in heaven any what? Longer. Now pay attention to this this point. It's going to be super powerful right here. God says something very interesting. John is writing about it and he's saying, look, heaven was no longer a place for Lucifer. He was now unfit for heaven. The Bible says there was not a place found for them where? Any longer. Now I want you to fast forward to Revelation chapter 20. I want you to see what the Bible says about the wicked. Go to Revelation chapter 20. In the judgment, watch what the Bible says. Starting with verse 11. Revelation chapter 20, starting with verse 11, page 1188. This is super important. Don't miss this. Then I saw the great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the what? The earth and heaven fled away. All the wicked are before the throne of God. All the wicked are there before God. Now watch what the Bible says. And there was found what? No place for them. There was found no place for who? For them. Do you see that? Satan was now unfit for heaven. The Bible says something about the wicked. They're now unfit for earth. Why? Because who now lives on earth? God. Folks, the reason why God does not save everybody is because heaven would be like hell to some people. And that's why the Bible says there's not found a place for them either. The same words that used to describe Lucifer's fall from heaven, how heaven was no longer a place where he could be. The Bible says earth is no longer a place for the wicked to be anymore. It's no longer a place. They have given up their home. And so this is important for us to understand. As God is trying to prepare us, he is trying to put heaven in our hearts. Can you say amen to that? Okay, so as he's preparing the children of Israel to leave Egypt, God knows that he has to put them through various tests and trials to refine their faith, to help them to understand that Egypt is not a place they want to be. Let's continue. Exodus chapter 14, starting with verse 9 and 11. I'm going to tie my shoe. You guys were noticing my shoe, huh? I knew that, because I noticed people's faults too. Got you. Exodus 14, starting with verse 9. Now watch what the Bible says right here. The children of Israel are waiting at the mouth right there. They're all there, and they're waiting for the next bit of instructions. They're looking at Moses. Moses, what are you going to do? But watch what the Bible says about the Egyptians, starting with verse 9. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of who? Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by... See, by the sea, besides Phi Heroth, before Baal Zephon. 
And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the, the Lord. Then they said to Moses, now pay attention to their words, it's so important. Because there were no what? Graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die where? In the wilderness. Now pay attention to the wording, it's so important. God led them to a trial, but you know who they begin to question? Who are they questioning? God. They're questioning God. And what are they saying about God's plan? It was meant for their what? It was meant for their death. Folks, you ever been in a spiritual condition when you feel that God's plans are simply just to hurt you, to cause you the most amount of pain, to give you difficulty, to make your life a burden? Folks, I want you to understand something. It's very clear that there is fear and guilt. The children of Israel knew that they were not right with God in their spiritual condition. And so they did not understand God's plan at that moment. And all they saw, I love what Ellen White says in Patriarchs and Prophets, they saw the cloud and the pillar that was filled or fire that was leading them as nothing more than the harbinger of death. He's led us to die. He's led us to die. And it's very interesting. Whenever God leads us into a trial, folks, God has usually three purposes in mind. To reveal, to refine, and to what? What's the next one? Reconstitute. Does anybody know what the word reconstitute means? To rebuild. To rebuild. God, when he's allowing trials to take place, it's not like God is surprised by your trials. Can you say amen to that? And so all that happens to the Israelites, God was full aware. He purposely allowed the children of Israel to come to a trial. Folks, we need not to say to ourselves, oh, things are happening to me, things are happening, bad things are happening my family, bad things are happening everywhere. Folks, I want you to understand, God allowed this trial to take place to do three things. He wanted to reveal his glory to the children of Israel, he wanted to refine their characters, and he wanted to reconstitute and rebuild them. We're always trying to solve our trials our way, and we miss what God is trying to do. We miss what God's trying to do. Do you know three days after the children of Israel had left Egypt, or after actually crossed the Red Sea, you know what happened? They began to complain to God. They questioned Moses' leadership. By the way, let this sink in. Even with the best leadership, there will always be trials with the church. God will purposely lead his people into trials. He will purposely do it. This should be no question to us. We should understand this. God allows trials to take place, and he, wanting, he was wanting to reveal his glory to the children of Israel. He was wanting to destroy Pharaoh and the Egyptians from pursuing the Israelites. He was wanting to accomplish a lot of things. Folks, listen to me when I'm about to say this to you. God leads you into trials. But he's also going to lead you out of those trials too. Can you say amen to that? But at that moment, when there is that waiting time and that delay, and you're saying, God, I'm hemmed in from the front, I'm hemmed in from the back, I'm looking at everywhere, and I'm in this trial. God says, I know, I led you there. We take hope. We take hope. And I love what Mark Finley says. It's so powerful. I love that guy. He says this. Look, if God doesn't lead you around your trials, if he doesn't lead you over your trials, he's going to lead you through your trials. Can you say amen to that? And sure enough, the children of Israel, they saw trials. They saw a rock 
and a hard place. And here they are, they're wondering to themselves, okay, God, you brought us here, now what? And God says, you wait. You wait. And in that waiting time, while we're questioning what God is trying to do, folks, we need to really pay close attention to the voice of God. Otherwise, we're going to have to repeat the trial again and again till we learn it. By the way, do you know when the children of Israel started thirsting and complaining to God? Do you know how many times they complained against God when they were thirsting in the, in the desert? I think it was about three or four times. Do you know when the children of Israel were at the end of the 40 years? You read Numbers chapter 21. They came right back to the same spot where they were complaining against Moses. But you know what happened? This time they didn't complain against Moses. This is in number 21 that they actually sing. They begin to sing. You ever heard of that song, Sing Up Oh Well? It's a kid's song. That's where it comes from. Andrew's Bible study commentary says, instead of complaining, they got it right. They finally learned their lesson. This time when they came across another trial, they didn't say, well, we're going to complain and get mad. They said, you know what? We're going to praise the Lord. They were learning their lesson, but it took 40 years. Folks, hopefully it doesn't take 40 years for you. Amen? And sure enough, God began to lead the children of Israel. And so they said this. It's so important. It would have been better for us to who? Serve the Egyptians. Do you know what the word serve means? It means to be in bondage. They were actually saying it's better for us to be in slavery than follow God's plan. Folks, many times God is trying to teach us lessons and many times he leads us in some difficult areas and we'll see the most difficult things taking place and our old nature will want to return. Many of us have made decisions for God, and many of us have followed God and said, Lord, I'm following you here. Maybe you went to an evangelistic series, maybe you got Bible studies, and you make a decision for God, and all of a sudden, the old nature comes running back. He comes running back, and do you know what your nature says? Well, let's go back to the old ways. Let's take a step back. Folks, think about the place where God once led you. And think about how far you might have backed away. Folks, the Egyptians are always going to be on your back. But God has promised deliverance. Can you say amen to that? Your nature will always clamor and want you to take a step away. And folks, I'm going to say something, and I mean it with all the love and respect that a pastor can give. Many of us have made decisions for Christ and many of us believe in the message of the church and many of us believe in the standards that God wants us to keep but we have stepped away from those things. We've allowed the worldliness to come back into us and God is saying, no, no, no. That is not why I led you there so you can go backwards. And by the way, had the children of Israel gone back into Egypt, sure enough, I am absolutely sure that Satan would have pressed Pharaoh to destroy them out of revenge. The world wants you and it is fighting to come to you and it wants to take you back and when you go back that time it's going to be far worse. Folks, listen to me when I say this. I understand the struggles that you have because I have the same struggles. I understand when the devil's on your case. I understand when worldliness is trying to bring you back and pull you back in the old days. I understand that. I'm a human being. But folks, you need to follow the instruction God gave to Moses. And what was the instructions? What was the instructions? Go forward. Go forward. You know, there was actually this very interesting book that was written by a lady by the name of Jennifer Roth. 
something in the 1960s, very controversial. And whether or not it is completely accurate, the principles are accurate. It was very controversial because she went down into the, she heard stories about the New York subway tunnels. And the stories was that there were, stories were that there were a group of people who were called the mole people. Have you heard this story before? Very interesting. There's a book written about it. Supposedly, she went down there, and there she discovered, oh, and by the way, she, before she went down into the uh, subway tunnels, she went to the police officers, and they told her, we're not going to go there without backup. She didn't know why. She went in there, and there she met a group of people who were homeless individuals who were living out in the subway tunnels. They had this sort of infrastructure that was there, a government that was there, and they, she met the most unusual characters. And there was kids there, and they were dirty and filthy, and she met even a, a contract killer group that was there. She met all sorts of characters, individuals that were living in the dark. And then she describes how she saw one of the most disgusting things when she discovered what they were eating. And what they were, were they were hunting giant sewer rats. And they were killing them. And she watched the whole thing take place, and she saw them eating the sewer rats, and just they killing them, and even the way they were catching them, that was pretty gruesome. I don't want to even say how they caught them. Okay? But this is the most important part that I want to bring out. She questions them, and she says, how come, you just, how come you guys don't want to go back up on the top level where you guys can find a job, get a, get a haircut, get cleaned up, you know, eat good food? And you know what they said? We like it down here. We like it down here. We prefer this. Folks, when God's looking at us and he sees a group of people who actually are preferring the world more than the things of God, he's shaking his head. He's like, why? They're living in the sewer. The spiritual sewer. Can you say amen to that? And so God wants us to follow his instructions. Now take your Bible and see what it says in Exodus 14, verse 13 and 15. Take your Bible. Let's go there right now. Exodus chapter 14. Starting with verse 13. Moses said to the people, Do not be a what? Afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more. When? Forever. And the Lord will fight for you, and you will hold your peace. Verse 15. And by the way, I love what it says in the last play. God was telling the children of Israel to the Egyptians... Not even a dog will move its tongue against you. Let's keep going. Verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to what? Go forward. He told the children of Israel, Go forward. If they were to remain in their spot, what would happen? They would be destroyed by the Egyptians. Folks, let this sink in. Your spiritual walk needs to be a continual forward momentum. You need to keep moving and you need to keep growing even if you feel that you're going to die. Can you say amen to that? Even when you're trapped with your wicked nature and even when you see your own backslidings and when you see your past, you need to say, I'm going forward, Lord. Amen? You need to keep moving forward. Can you say amen to that? When God, when God was Parting the Red Sea, the children of Israel were walking through. 
They're walking through and they can see the, the walls of water that was there. And if you watch the movie Prince of Egypt, you'll see a giant whale come through the whale well. And so here they were. God told the children of Israel, move forward. They continued to, to, to just to think about it. And finally, it says the, the, the waters begin to, the wind begin to blow back the waters the entire night. They were watching God's deliverance. And as they continued to follow, God parted the Red Sea. Folks, listen to me. This is important for us to understand. As we're coming down to the end of the year, God is saying, you may see your church, your spiritual condition, you may see your backsides, you may see your faults, you may see your trials and the circumstances that surround you, but move forward. Move forward, amen? I love what Philippians says right here, but let me read you one thing from Ellen White. When he brings his people into straight places, it is th- then it is their privilege to assemble together for what? Prayer, remembering that all things come of God. Those who have not yet shared in the trying experiences that attend the work in these last days will soon have to pass through scenes that will severely test their confidence in God. Folks, even when the church falls apart, are you going to trust the Lord? Even when your family falls apart, are you going to trust the Lord? Even when the economy falls apart, are you going to trust the Lord? Amen. It is at that time his people see no way to advance. When the Red Sea is before them and the pursuing army behind, that God bids them what? Say it loud, folks. Go forward. Thus he is working to test their faith. When such experiences come to you, what's those next two words? Go forward, trusting in Christ. Walk step by step in the path he marks out. Trials will come. But what's those next two words? Oh, you guys don't sound like you guys want to go forward. He does. What are those two words? Keep moving forward. Amen? Keep moving forward. Keep moving. Even if you're falling apart and you're saying, Lord, I'm just messed up. God says, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. You're messed up. Even if you messed up on the way to church, keep moving forward. Amen. Amen. This will give you an experience that will strengthen your what? Faith in God and will fit you for what? Truest service. For the truest service. I love what Philippians says right here. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehend it. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and what? Reaching what? Forward to those things which are what? Ahead. Paul understood something about his experience. He knew that he needed to keep moving forward. Folks, this is so awesome. I didn't discover this until I was doing a word study. Look at this. This is talking about the end of Jesus' life. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? The moment of his betrayal. Jesus knew these things were happening. But he didn't back away. He knew at that very moment he could have left. But he went what? Forward. He met it. He confronted it. He went forward with the courage. And I love what Ellen White says. She says, because he heard the song of Moses and of the redeemed. He heard the song of Moses and the redeemed. He went forward. A new year's before us. We're coming down to the end. And God is saying, I don't want you to slow down. I want you to what? Keep moving what? Forward. Keep moving forward. Folks, one day, 
One day, the Bible teaches that we're going to sing a song. The children of Israel, it says in Exodus 15, as soon as they had reached the end of the Red Sea, they begin to praise the Lord. They begin to, they begin to sing. And it says that Miriam grabbed all the women and they danced with the timbrels. They were so excited, they sung the song of who? Moses. They sung the song of Moses. They were so excited about that. Now take your Bible. This is going to be our last verse. Go to Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 15. Look at verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven. Great and marvelous seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of who is complete? Wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who had the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, over the number of his name, standing on the what? Sea of glass having the harps of God. They sing the who? The song of who? Of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the what? The Lamb. Folks, I want you to understand, the righteous are going to sing two songs at the end of time. It's going to be the song of Moses and the song of who? The Lamb. Do you know the difference between those two songs? You don't, do you? What is the difference between the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb? The song of Moses we will sing because our deliverance from spiritual Egypt. The song of the Lamb we will sing because of our deliverance from this planet. Look what Ellen White says right here. That song does not belong to the Jewish people alone. Can you say hallelujah? It points forward to the destruction of all the foes of righteousness. Sin one day will be destroyed. Can you say hallelujah to that? Wickedness will be destroyed one day. And the final victory of the Israel of God. The prophet of Patmos beholds the white robed multitude that have gotten the victory. Standing on the sea of glass, mingled with fire, having the harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. In freeing our souls from the bondage of sin, God has wrought us a deliverance greater than that of the Hebrews of the Red Sea. Can you say amen to that? God has given us a deliverance greater than the mighty parting of the Red Sea in saving your souls. Like the Hebrew host, we should praise the Lord with heart and soul and voice for his wonderful works for the children of men. Those who dwell upon God's great mercies are not mindful of his lesser gifts, will put on the girdle of gladness and make melody within their hearts for the Lord. The daily blessings that we receive from the hand of God and above all else, the death of Jesus to bring us happiness in heaven within our reach should be a theme of constant what? Gratitude. All the inhabitants of heaven unite in praising God. Let us learn the song of who? Learn the song of angels tomorrow. Is that what it says? Learning the song of angels to next week? Should we learn the song of angels in 2013? When do we learn the song of angels? We can learn the song of angels now. That we may sing it. When? When we join their shining ranks. Can you say amen to that? Folks, I want to make two special appeals today. Two special appeals. The first appeal is this. Maybe you in your life see that you have walked backwards from the path of God. 
that you have taken steps backwards when you should have taken steps forward. And you're hearing this today because I believe God is communicating to your heart. And he is saying to you, you need to make a step forward. No more going backwards. You go backwards, those Egyptians, they're going to finish you off. There is no tomorrow with those Egyptians. And God is saying to you today, go forward. Is there anybody today who says in their heart, you know what, Lord? I've taken a couple steps, but I want to go forward. Is there anybody like that today? Folks, I'm going to do something special. If that's you, I want you to stand up and I want you to go forward. I'm calling you up to the front. If you're somebody who says in your heart, you know what, I've taken step backwards. I want to take a step forward, Lord. I'm coming down to the end of the year. I don't want to go backwards. It's time for me to go forward. Folks, this is the time. God is calling his people. Go forward. The time will come where we will sing the song of Moses and of the redeemed. We'll praise the Lord for his great deliverance, for all the things he has done for us. All the beautiful things. Folks, Jesus said, he who comes to him, he will in no wise cast away. Can you say amen to that? God is calling you today to go forward, not to remain in the same spot, but to move forward. If you're hearing this, I really believe God has brought this message to your heart today. No more, no more going backwards. He is saying, go forward. Go forward. Go forward. Go forward. Go forward. Today, the Bible says, if you hear his heart, do not harden your heart in the day of provocation as your fathers tested me. He's talking about those Israelites that said, we're going back to Egypt. God says, don't harden your heart. Go forward. No more backwards. Go forward. Can you say it with me, church family? Go forward. Amen. Second appeal is this. If you're somebody who hasn't made a decision for baptism, now is the time. Now is the time, folks. We're going forward. We are going forward. The kingdom of heaven is going forward. Can you say amen to that? We're not going backwards. We're going forward. Whatever our condition may be, whatever our past is, whatever the faults are, whatever the history has been, God says, go forward. And you will see what God does. Don't delay, folks. God is calling you to step into that water, just like he told the Israelites. Let's pray, church family. Father in heaven, we can only go forward, Lord, as you open up the way. But I think of what the Bible says in Hebrews, by faith, the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. And right now, Lord, you said, have faith. You're saying, have faith to us right now. The Israelites were in no better spiritual condition than we were, Lord, but you said, go forward. Oh, Jesus. There's no time for delay. Help us to go forward. Bless each person here. Bless those who are struggling, who feel like, God, they are so distant. Help them to realize even now, Lord, that heaven loves them. For those who need to make a decision for baptism or rebaptism, Lord, give them the courage to go forward into that water. Thank you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.